Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast. Each week we'll be joined by guests from the financial services world to discuss the most pressing industry issues. I'm Amy Austin, news editor at FT Advisor, and today I will be discussing the FCA's simplified advice regime with Heather Hopkins, Managing Director of Next Wealth, Prakesh Chandra Mohan, Strategic Policy Director at the Investing and Savings Alliance, and Chet Falani, Managing Director of EV. Welcome to you all and thank you for joining us today. So, in November, which you know seems a long time ago now, the City Watchdog published a consultation into simplified advice to make it cheaper and easier for firms to advise consumers on a handful of mainstream investments within stocks and shares ISAs. As part of this regime, the FCA said it's going to, you know, create a new handbook definition of core investment advice. And the FCA said it will limit the regime to advice relating to, you know, investments held within an SAS ISA in order to, you know, keep the tax implications as simple as possible for investors. So I thought we could maybe start by discussing, you know, that the FCA has kind of acknowledged that simplified advice will most appeal to larger financial institutes. Uh, so Heather, maybe we could start with you. Are they right to suggest this? Do you think, you know, it's the larger firms that are going to jump on board rather than the smaller firms? Yeah, thanks, Amy. It's a really, really interesting topic. So definitely it will be larger firms that will look to to do this by and large. I mean, there, there might be some exceptions, but absolutely. The small firms are really focused on advising the clients they have. Even when we look at a provision of a digital advice proposition, it's much more likely that larger firms will do this. And part of the reason for that is they've got a larger number of sort of mixed customers from lots of different profiles where smaller firms tend to have a tighter, more well-defined customer set um, just by virtue of how those businesses have grown. I think the firms that are most likely to pursue this would be banks and people offering workplace savings provision or life and pension companies. And I've got, I mean, I know we'll get into it, but I've got really, really strong views about whether this is, this is a good idea for customers and whether it will just lead to more confusion. And what about you, Prakash, on Tizer's kind of viewpoint here? Yeah, I mean, I agree with what what Heather has said there. I don't think small firms are unfairly excluded from making use of the new regime. But um, as Heather mentioned, I mean, large financial institutions, I guess that they're geared to building sort of highly scalable digital propositions. They've got that large existing sort of customer base that they can cross-sell into. So, yes, in, in theory, you know, simplified advice should appeal to larger institutions, but then large institutions are, are highly risk-averse as well. Um, they need to implement strict sort of risk compliance controls in any new advice proposition. They're highly concerned about the risk of FOS complaints and um, you know, FOS rulings and, and, and concern about brand damage. So, from our perspective, the jury is still out as to whether large firms will, will make use of this new regime. And okay, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Heather and Prakash have, have covered it quite a number of points there. But, but I think if we look at the actual investment amount, which is somewhere between ten and £20,000 of cash savings, and I think the FCA have identified circa 6,800 potential firms that could adopt it, but then I've outlined about 10 to 100, which they expect to adopt it. I think if you look at the traditional advisor firms, given the cost of providing advice, 
you know, on average, the minimum investable amount that they look at is circa £50,000 before they um, consider investing a client. So if you're looking at a maximum 20k, it's difficult to see how the traditional advisor firms will adopt it or, or take this on board just because it doesn't really stack up from an economical perspective for them. So then if you look at you know banks and, and life and pension companies and, and perhaps even in the workplace space, they've already got access to a large number of customers where they have interactions via communications, you know, apps, online banking which positions them quite well. And especially banks, they've got existing branches with staff. So, so you know, it, it's possible to set up a mass market type of solution, perhaps similar to what we had pre-RDR, actually. Um, and we might see quite a few banks go back into this kind of space. And I think Heather touched on digital um, solutions there. Actually, for those who are, and the larger providers who are looking at implementing a full digital advice process or even a hybrid process, they should really benefit too because it should allow for a simpler investment digital journey to be built because in theory we should see a simpler journey defined by the FTA which should help engagement it should help individuals complete the process and we already know the cost of providing a digital or hybrid solution is far cheaper than than your traditional advice route so I think this will really really help um, in particular banks and, and digital and hybrid implementations but I can't personally see many traditional advisor firms taking it up I'm honest. Sure I'm kind of just saying with that for a minute you know is it gonna is this regime gonna you know allow the big companies like you say like banks to kind of you know push their own products and push their own ISAs kind of in a way I guess it would be similar to how you know estate agents when you're looking for a house are like hey we've got a mortgage advisor here if you want to use them you know it might be you know they've given a stocks and shares so I said to someone they're like actually we can advise you on what to do with it as well do you think you know that might be something that we're going to see yeah and similar to what I said I think pre-IDR that's what we had we had restricted advice provided by uh, a lot of the banks and it kind of looks like a return to that space but 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 I think if you look at it in isolation yes you will see banks and the large providers implement solutions that, that focus on specific products i think that's the natural way it will go but, but i think there is a a wider benefit of a solution like this because i think you know ultimately what the fca are trying to do is help individuals there's a vast number of individuals out there who have um sums of money in cash which you know is pretty much eroding away given the way inflation has been over the last 12 months and the way it's going to go moving forwards and a vast majority of these individuals will probably not look towards financial advice. So anything that we can do to try and get individuals into getting financial advice can only be a good thing because there is an enormous advice gap out there. And I'm sure we can go into that into, into a little bit more detail shortly. But given the financial advice gap that's there, anything that we can do to help individuals get them into the ecosystem of receiving financial advice and look at ways of reducing the cost of providing advice can only be a good thing longer term um, and what I would say is this is probably a start it's it's not the full solution but we know the FCA are looking at other spaces like the, uh, the boundary between guidance and advice for example so coupled with other initiatives that are out there I definitely think it's a positive step um, but it is a small step to where we need to get to. And Heather what do you kind of think do you, do you think there'll be any benefits of you know like banks maybe pushing their own ISAs and offering a simplified advice with this, or is it all bad? (laughs) 
I don't think it's all bad. I think you know, what they're trying to achieve is good because they want more people to accumulate wealth because responsibility is transferred to individuals to be able to fund their life, right? And 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 retirement's expensive. And this is really focused on accumulation. In, I bought my first mutual fund walking into a bank branch in Canada, and that was that was where that happened. And I think there's a there's a lot of um, you know, there's a recognition that financial products are sold, not bought. Yet we have this view that we can't sell products to individuals. So I do sympathise with what's trying to be done. I'm just concerned that it's limited to ISAs because I think that there's a lot of benefit that could be offered by helping people to understand that if they took a bit more risk in workplace savings, that that could have an enormous impact in the long term. So I'm concerned that it's focused on selling an ISA within a sort of closed environment. But there's some fundamental issues, right? I think it's 8% of people in the UK have access to financial advice. And if you compare that to the US, it's about 35%. And so having that access to advice within you know, local communities is really, really important. And that could have been offered through branches of banks. But those branches don't exist anymore. And I think we also have to think about where are the people that we're trying to support? Where are they accessing financial information? Are they on Revolut where they can just buy crypto through a click, through an app? And so if we can integrate abilities to buy these products in a simplified journey where you don't have to fill out reams of risk profiles to go into a globally diversified multi-asset fund, that would be fantastic. But it seems to be focused on helping people who already have products to sell, sell those to people they have access to. So I just, so that that's my caution is that I think that it's the intention is really good, but what I'd like to see is to think about, well, how are the people we're trying to support who are the accumulators, where are they accessing information about their finances now? How can we make that journey really easy? Because I think it should be as easy of a click of a button in some cases, right? It shouldn't be that complicated to make a good decision for your financial future. It's really easy to buy crypto. And that's an example that I use because I've watched my kid my my eldest has done it right and it's really hard to buy a fund and that's crazy yeah it's starkly different isn't it and Prakash what would you kind of say to an advisor who is weighing up whether this is worth they if this is kind of you know worth the while should they steer clear or should they give it a go yeah I mean if the FCA launched this um, new regime I mean there's clearly an opportunity for the industry to make use of it and there's potentially a very large market so you know, according to the FCA's you know, latest financial life survey, there are you know, 4.2 million consumers holding on to 10,000 or more of their investable assets, you know, mostly in cash. So you know, that, that points to a potentially large target market. If, if I was talking to an advisor who's trying to make their mind up, I would, I would flag three things about the, the, about the regime. You know, the first point would be around you know, the cost they would um, the, the the cost of of this regime to the firm. So at the moment, the way the consultation paper is worded, it's it's up to the advisor to check whether a customer qualifies for core investment advice. And I think a lot of advice firms are going to come to the conclusion that they're going to need a fully qualified advisor to perform that check. 
and involving fully qualified advisors is, is the most expensive part of the advice process. So that's the first thing I'd flag. The second thing I'd flag would be around liability. So again, the way the CP is worded, it's, it's up to the firm to design their filtering and target market assessments to identify and exclude consumers you know, for whom this regime is appropriate for or not appropriate for. And that leaves the door open for FOS-type complaints. Um, so the question back to firms will be, you know, whether they're willing to, whether they're willing to you know, take that risk. Um, and the third thing I would flag would be around, you know, all the exclusions. I think sort of Heather sort of pointed to this. Um, at the moment, you know, core investment advice is, is very much envisaged as an initial advice service for just stocks and shares ISAs. And that's really restrictive. It's not applicable to top-ups, not applicable to junior ISAs, to lifetime ISAs, to general investment accounts and pensions. So that's going to dramatically reduce the attractiveness of, of, of using the regime. And Heather, is it kind of, you know, worth an advisor doing it? You know, they have a client bank. They have all these people that they speak to all the time who, you know, let's be honest, have a large pot you know that advisors will be dealing with you know is this just a kind of thing where we might see advisors being like you know this this isn't actually for us this is more for banks and you know ISA providers and people like that and actually we're going to stay steer clear and keep advising you know the people where it's economically viable to do so so I think it's, it's it's a really, really good question. And, and and advisors often have clients who will say, you know, can you help out my kid who wants to just put some money in an ISA, right? And they want a solution for that client. Is this the right solution for that client? I don't think so. I don't think it is because, as, you know, as, as Prakash said, that, that they're missing out on thinking about LISA, junior ISA. You know, there's lots of other things to think about. So I think that most firms are looking, rather than the opportunities that exist from this, firms that are looking at solutions are looking at digital advice or hybrid advice solutions to be able to meet different the needs of different customer segments. And I think that's right, because if you're offering advice, it has to be suitable advice. And this is what advisors hang their hat on. And I think it's the Baldwin, Harriet Baldwin's amendment that she suggested it would even mean that this doesn't have to be suitable. I mean, it, it's crazy. It's just not what advisors do. And even you know, if you if you talk to somebody running a you know D two C business, they'll say clients call in and they'll ask you know a few questions and they'll say you know this is guidance. They'll repeat its guidance. They'll repeat its guidance. And at the end of the call, the client will say thanks so much for your advice. No, no, it wasn't advice, right? And it's um and that that line between what's advice and guidance is really blurry. So financial advisors offer advice. And there's ways that they can offer advice to a wider set of the population using technology solutions. And it's really, really interesting what people are doing. And there's no doubt there's a need for it, right? If you look at what M&G have done to offer hybrid advice, you know, one of the biggest things they were getting from clients was just, I want to access my tax-free cash. Well, you know, you can make a real difference to somebody's income about thinking about how they receive that and how, and understanding the implications of withdrawing that money by going through a pretty lightweight advice process that's supported by algorithms. You know, one of the most common requests that firms get running workplace savings businesses is, you know, I, I want to make a I want to make a lump sum withdrawal from my pension. And people might not know that they can do that in two tranches. And if you take half now and half in the next tax year, that could have a huge impact on 
the amount of money that you actually t- you know are able to spend and use and there's those there's those small things where where the intervention of advice supported by machine and a qualified human that offered remotely can offer low cost access to help people who maybe don't fit into the you know the the target market of a lot of advice firms and just to give some numbers to it there's a wealth manager offering full service financial advice they don't advise on the individual investment but they will do the tax wrapper recommendation 900 pounds all in fee for financial planning and another one offering it for 500 pounds profitably and different sizes firms can do this but it's obviously the bigger firms that are more charged to do this so you can offer full service advice but remotely supported by machines at a pretty low cost and that's where I would be focusing if I, I don't run an advice business, but if I did run an advice business. Sean, what do you think, Jack? I mean, it's, it's interesting. I think what Heather's talking about is probably absolutely right. It's, it's where we should be going. I mean, if we just look at the simplified one investment advice journey, I think in summary, it's, it's quite restrictive because there's, you know, it's, it's only for stocks and share sizes, max of £20,000. There's no ongoing advice piece. You're not looking at other products. There's no regular contributions beyond that. So it's it's very specific to a certain journey. But uh, you know, I, I think Heather's are absolutely right. You know, we have a big advice gap issue here in the UK. There's at least you know four million individuals that would like to receive advice who are currently priced out of the market. And then looking at pensions in particular, at retirement is a big space where individuals need support so post pension freedoms in 2015 people now have you know the the ability to make irreversible and complex decisions at the point of retirement and looking at the fca's data from 21 22 two-thirds of individuals who accessed the pot for the first time and there were 700,000 pots that were accessed two-thirds did so without receiving any advice that just feels like a ticking time bomb you know people making decisions pulling out money drawing down withdrawal rates are, are not sustainable. And, and I feel there's certain areas that we should be focusing on. But the reality is a lot of these individuals can't be supported by the current advice processes and, and firms that are out there because the cost just doesn't make sense for them given the pot sizes that they have. So moving to digital or hybrid solutions where you're ultimately using technology algorithms to give a recommendation and perhaps suitability report, but limiting the use of advisors or human resources to the areas that way they can really add values of building relationships explaining results you can really create an efficient process and some and we work with institutions and in implementing hybrid and digital solutions i mean some of the solutions we've seen a full digital journey can reduce the cost of advice by up to 90 percent compared to traditional advice and a hybrid solution can go as far as 50 or 60 percent unless we start looking at areas like that and developing solutions that are more automated and digitized, I struggle to see how the vast number of individuals in this country who need help will get the help. So I think it's only a matter of time. And we're seeing it. Most large financial institutions are now looking at digital and hybrid um, with the use of advisors, to be clear, not necessarily replacing advisors, because advisors are a big part of this process as well. And I think that's where we'll ultimately go. We've seen it over the last five years. We've seen it in simpler areas like um, ISA and GIA advice, for example, because it's a little bit more straightforward. But we're starting to see other areas like protection, at retirement advice and in retirement advice. And and I think that's only going to be a good thing. And the FCA are looking in this space as well to see how they can 
make advice more accessible to individuals as well. So I think, as I said at the beginning, this is a small step, but I think it is a move in the right direction. And we as the industry seem to be moving to a place where we're trying to reduce the cost of advice, improve efficiency, and that can only be a good thing for consumers here in the UK. Sure. There's just um, one thing that kind of like nags at the back of my head. It's that, you know, kind of historically we've seen that robo-advisors don't necessarily perform very well. Um, you know, there has been a lot of robo-advisors that have had to shut their doors just because, you know, they're kind of, you know, not getting the money and they're not getting the clients. Do you think this kind of offering would help companies like that? You know, would it push more people to actually consider a robo-advisor? And is this the kind of firm that should be maybe looking into simplified advice? I think um, looking at the FCA's own um, information, I think they had a stat where, you know, 81% of individuals they spoke to preferred to talk to a human being as part of um, receiving advice. It seems to suggest that individuals don't really want to go down a full robo journey, ultimately. However, I mean, I was thinking about this this morning, going back to even things like online banking. You know, my parents, for example, would never have touched online banking five, ten years ago. Yet now they do. They've got apps on their phone. You know, you kind of get into the ecosystem and you start doing it once it becomes, you know, becomes more of a common theme um, around. So I think we've got to develop the solutions, get them out there and get and get people using them. I think where robots have struggled and, you know, using Nutmeg as a, as a classical example, the, the onboarding costs or the marketing costs of getting an individual onto the platform using the system was into the hundreds versus the fees that they would receive, which were a fraction of that. I think where digital and hybrid really works well is where institutions already have access to large customer bases. So banks, product providers, life companies, in the workplace where individuals are already accessing pension schemes because they've already got a connection with individuals. And it's about leveraging that to take them through, through an advice process. So I think um, th- there's lots of scope. And, and from what we're seeing in the market, a lot of the financial institutions who do have customers are now starting to ask, how can we support them better? And it might not be advice. You know, advice isn't for everyone. It might be um, guidance or educational capabilities. But what we do see is actually it's it's an omni-channel experience. And I'm sorry for using that word, but essentially... It's guidance or education, traditional advice, or uh, some element of digital and hybrid based on the individual's needs and and also, you know, economically, what the level of assets that they have. So you're offering the solution to an individual based on their needs. So for mortgages, they might want to speak to an advisor, whereas for accumulation or simple journey, they might want to go down a robot or a guidance route. So, so I think looking at what the whole ecosystem looks like from an institution's perspective is quite important. I'm putting the customer first and really focusing on a solution that, that works for them. But I must admit, I'm quite excited about where the industry will go over the next five or 10 years because we've already started to see it happen and we've started to see that shift. And it's inevitable. Tech's going to play a big role in how things go moving forwards. Sure. And Prakash, do you think maybe advisors should be kind of worried about this simplified advice coming on, you know, like treading on their toes a little bit? Or do you think actually they should see it as, a positive and actually you know as a person who may have never taken advice before going to get simplified advice on an ISA might actually push me to you know go and seek out an advisor or you know consider it a bit more later on in life you know once I have the funds. Yeah I mean look I think the way the CP's worded I think it's going to struggle to to get traction but that said where where you've got firms 
offering similar sorts of advice propositions right now. I mean, this regime does offer them the ability, for example, to to use sort of not necessarily level four qualified advisors, you know, for the whole customer journey, and that allows them to reduce their costs. It allows them to spread the advice fee over time with the customer. So there are there are a few benefits that it does provide sort of advice businesses, you know, doing a doing a similar thing. But you know, whether whether it gets traction with you know, firms that are not doing a similar thing, uh, yeah, I'm really not sure. And Heather, what if you could maybe change one thing or a few things about the FCA's proposals? <laughs> what would you kind of look to do? You know, how would you make this, you know, a goer? Gosh, that's a really big question. Yeah, um, how would I change it? So, so I would look at whether there was a slimmed down way for people almost a hybrid that if you have people who are accumulating wealth who are earlier on their journey, can you have a simpler approach possibly, but it covers all product areas. That might be a solution. I, I suspect that Prakash would probably be able to answer this one better than, better than me because he's probably done more thinking about it. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely, there's definitely things that need sorting to give more people access to advice. And if I didn't have that bank advisor nudge me towards buying a mutual fund when I was 22, then, you know, I'd I'd be in a different position today because it got me started on my journey. So I'm hugely grateful for that. But that was into a pension and, you know, and I still have that and it's still growing. And that's really different than sitting in a stocks and shares ISA. So yeah, so what would I change? Probably a whole lot about it, actually. And I would make sure that it's suitable advice. And I would make sure that if you're using the word advice, it's advice, 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 end of. That was a rambling okay. answer. Apologies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tess, what are your kind of, what, do, what would you like? Tess, we'll start with you. Look, first of all, I'd like to say you know, we are supportive of the FCA grappling with this problem. But you know, I think the big elephant in the room for us is you know, does this core investment advice regime actually solve the problem? Does it solve the problem as to why people aren't investing sensibly, you know, within a stocks and shares ISA? And, you know, we, we commissioned some research on this in, in November last year with um, with Oxera, which the, the behavioral economics consultancy. And we were looking at, you know, what is stopping people from investing sensibly? And we, and we came up with sort of four key reasons. One is that people just don't engage. So over 70% of people with excess cash balances have, have not even considered investing in a stocks and shares ISA in the first place. Then secondly, they, they think investing is too risky and they, they grossly overestimate the risk of losing money from investing, you know, even over long-term time horizons uh, compared to historical sort of performance. You know, the third reason was that they feel that the customer journey for investing is too time-consuming and complex. So, yeah, the industry needs to learn much more around behavioral science about creating effective comms and, and information to, to drive sort of good outcomes. And then the fourth reason was just not enough people in the UK think that stocks and shares ISAs are for people like them, um, especially people living outside of London, particularly women, particularly those in lower socioeconomic groups. And look, and the reason I want to go through that detail is because no one said, oh, we, we, I'm not investing sensibly because advice is not cheap enough. 
or I want a simplified advice proposition. No, you know, we didn't we didn't hear that. So so we think that the number one sort of problem to to address is the engagement problem. Um, and, and at times we're calling for a regulated financial guidance regime that would enable firms to personalize their help and support to consumers in a way that would enable them to better engage you know, consumers, um, make consumers aware that they've got a problem in the first place. But if I, if I then turn to, okay, what can the FCA do to improve this regime? Um, I'll, I'll say sort of three things. Um, so the first is that simplified advice, it needs to sit alongside other new forms of guidance and support. So, you know, we, we are calling for this, this new regime for, for, for regulated financial guidance, but that's very much in Treasury's court because the legislation would have to be introduced to, to enable that. I'd say that the FCA need to do more to address the liability issue for firms. So instead of expecting firms to design their own filtering and target market assessments, it'll be much better if the FCA published sort of clearer guidance as to the specific things that firms need to check to be assured that this core investment advice is suitable for the client. And that then mitigates the risk of FOS making sort of adverse rulings against firms, which is just a real worry for for the industry. And you sort of think that from a big firm's perspective, they want to be putting tens of thousands of people through these journeys. And if you've got like an adverse FOS ruling that comes out in a few years' time, they potentially have to review everyone who went through that same journey. Um, so that it's, it's a real, real problem. I think the FCA need to do more to address that liability point. And the, and the third thing that we're going to be suggesting to the FCA is to really broaden the scope of the regime, you know, to make it much more wrapper agnostic. Now, look, this is a hard thing because it's the restrictive nature of this regime that has allowed sort of lower qualification requirements for advisors to be permissible. So, you know, if you, if you, if you, broaden the scope of the regime, you're then increasing the qualification requirements. So you're sort of taking away that cheaper cost element. But actually, we don't think it's the cost of advice, actually, that is the, the number one problem here that needs to be solved. And I think it's it's just really difficult for firms to deliver sort of inconsistent, they don't want to be delivering inconsistent customer journeys dependent on on what the wrapper is. You know, whether it's a stocks and shares ISA versus a junior ISA versus a lifetime ISA, just it, it should be as, as simple as possible to cross wrappers. Sure. And Chet, is there any final thoughts from you? No, I, I think to be fair, uh, Prakash and Heather have covered a fair fair few points there. I think um, perhaps slightly different view to, to Prakash. I, I think um, we do have a real problem with the actual cost of advice. We do have a problem in engagement too, obviously. But, you know, if you look at, the high net worth for those who have sufficient assets, they can access an advisor. Now, to be fair, advisor numbers have stayed relatively stable over the last few years. But if you look 10, 20 years into the future, you know, are, are people going to have the pot sizes that we currently have? You know, the shift away from DC, uh, DV pots and looking at auto enrollment pots and the size of pots that they will have moving forward so, and the savings that they will have. You know, there is a real question of how we can support those individuals moving forward if we can't look at ways of providing more support at a lower cost. Now, whether that's providing um, some sort of regulated guidance or, or a cheaper cheaper advice process, 
I just think we have to look at ways to deliver more simplified journeys across a number of areas. Now, this is just a start. It's the, you know, it, it's it pretty restricted. It's with something simple like a stocks and shares ISA, but that's because it is probably the easiest place to start. So, so I think looking at how we can simplify advice processes across a number of other areas, I think is a must for us moving forward. And it's a fantastic opportunity because ultimately simplified advice does lend itself really well by definition to a digital advice process because you're, you're essentially focusing on a particular need area. Where traditional advisor firms and traditional holistic advice can be really helpful is if you want to consider more complex areas, if you want to take more than one thing into account. And that's going to be there to help individuals who can afford it. But I think if you look at the number of individuals that we have at the moment, circa four mil, who want advice but can't afford to get advice given the current price point and how that's going to likely shift and, and increase moving forwards. It's a fantastic opportunity for us. And I think no one's mentioned Brexit. I think everyone's stopped saying Brexit for a while now. But now that we have left the EU, it does give us a great opportunity to look at the MIFID rules and look at how we could do things differently. So there's a great opportunity there, perhaps, for the FCN. I know they're looking at, you know, the advice and guidance boundary, but perhaps we could go a little bit further and look at how we can truly support individuals and provide the protection, but perhaps simplify the advice journey too. We'll have our professor in chat. Thank you so much for joining us this week. And who knows, next year, we might be here, same month, same time, discussing whether it's been a success or not. So let's see. Tune in next week where we will discuss other goings on in the industry. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.